everyone, and welcome back to the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl. And I'm excited to talk about the movie this week. I I love this movie. To This week, we're going to be talking about um, an actual full-length feature movie and not a short movie like we did last week. So um, let me know. I haven't really heard from anybody, so um, let me know if you really enjoyed last week's show. Let me know if you prefer full-length movies. I'm good either way. I, I love all links of, of visual media, but um, everybody has their preferences, right? So this week, though, we're going to be talking about 2014 film It Follows. This was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, starring Micah Monroe, Keir Gilchrist, and Olivia Lucardi. And before I start, I just a few housekeeping items. If you don't mind leaving me a rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please make sure to let others know that you're listening to this. I am really, really aggressively trying to grow this as fast as I can. And any help that I can get with that is always appreciated. And um, there's really no better compliment than word of mouth referral. Um, I know that sounds cheesy. I used to be in sales, but it really is true. Like, I tell my friends about podcasts that I'm listening to all the time and reasons why I think they would enjoy them, what they're about, X, Y, Z. I'm sure you listeners out there do the same. So word of mouth referral, huge compliment to me. If you don't mind sending people over to listen to this podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Right now, my best performing episode is actually the killing of a sacred deer episode, which is the one that me personally, I, I kind of felt the most iffy about releasing, but evidently other people don't feel that way and feel that it was really good because it's the highest, it's the one with the most listens. And I want to say it's the one that has the highest engagement. So that is really the only housekeeping we're going to do this week. Thank you so much. If you tolerated me through that, um, and Again, thank you for returning to another episode of the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. Again, we are with the Morbidly Beautiful Network. You can go to morbidlybeautiful.com and check out all their other writers, articles, um, blog posts. You can see other podcasters there. Anything horror-related, we love it all at the Morbidly Beautiful Network. So head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com and check it out. Now, when we talk about It Follows... Not not a well-received movie, I don't think, personally. Um, I spoke to a lot of people before I watched it. It's in, It was a more indie release, so I didn't really know a lot about it when it came out. And I was in college, so I was like, oh, I have to party and do other things. Mm, don't have time for movies. Um, but I had, ca- I had called my parents one day, and they were like, yeah, we just watched this movie, and it was really, really actually good. It was called It Follows. And I was like, okay, yeah, I haven't heard of it. I'll check it out. Um, I ended up watching it, I think, just by myself. Um, I used to watch movies by myself in college all the time, even though I lived in a house with four other girls. And I still watch movies by myself all the time now because my husband won't watch them with me. Um, he says the things I watch are too scary. I don't know. I don't, I don't really buy that. But anyway, um, I loved it the first time I watched it. It scared the shit out of me, truly. And now I think I've probably seen it five or six times since then. I really thoroughly enjoy this movie. It has a very muted color scheme. It's very blue and green. Um, it's very ambiguous as to what like time period we're in. We know that we're in Michigan, but not until way later in the movie, like the very end of the movie. And, um, like they have really old, like box TVs with dials on the side instead of, you know, little buttons on the bottom and everything. It's just hard to tell what time period you're in. And I think that really adds to it because it almost feels more like a dream. The movie plays like a dream, not the same way that Mulholland drive plays as a dream. Um, but still just like kind of surreal. So Um, This movie is roughly an hour and a half long, so it's definitely not long at all. You can definitely watch it while you're eating dinner or cooking or just unwinding with a glass of wine after a long day at work. It's really easily digestible in that way. And I will say content warning for um, sexual violence. It, 
there's just a lot of sex and things related to sex in this film. And if that's something that concerns you, I would maybe skip this one. IMDb, of course, our Bible. Short one this time, not like the Ari Aster ones in the last episode, but um, all we have here is a young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. And I think that pretty much encompasses it all. I think that's pretty much all we need to know, and that's that's pretty the gist of it. So let's get started. We open on a quiet suburban neighborhood with a teenage girl. I'm aging her myself. They don't specifically say how old she is, but um, she looks like a high schooler. Running out of her house, she runs out the front door. She's in her PJs and a pair of red heels, which are very cute, but they definitely don't go with her outfit. And something is chasing her, but only she can see it. So like her neighbor is outside unloading groceries and stuff. And her dad is like yelling for her to come back inside the house. And she is looking at something. We can't see it. Only she can see it. Nobody else can see anything. So she runs back inside the house gets car keys, gets in the car, drives out, her phone's ringing, her dad's calling, she's not answering. She drives out to the beach alone and finally she sits on the beach and picks up the phone, talks to her dad, and it's just like, hey dad, I'm sorry for all the times that I was an asshole to you. I love you so much. I love mom so much. Everything's okay. She's crying. She's obviously scared, but she doesn't want anybody else to be worried because there's really not a good way to explain this to anyone. So she just keeps saying, I love you. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. Next thing, cut to the next morning. She has been murdered. She's laying flat on her back with her um, shin, like the bottom part of her leg, the knee down, is bent facing toward her. So when you like bend your knees or sit on your knees or whatever, you're bending it one way. Hers was the other way. So that's the image that we're left with. Then we go to meet our main character, Jay, who's played by Micah Monroe. And she is swimming in her backyard and her sister Kelly comes out to ask her if she wants to watch a movie because they're two friends Paul and Yara are coming over and Jay is too cool for school because she has a date. So she's like, sorry, no can do movie night. Got to go on a date. After she gets cleaned up from swimming, her sister Kelly and friends Yara and Paul, they watch a movie in the living room while Yara reads a book called The Idiot on her flip phone, which um, she says is about Paul, which is kind of funny. But um the best thing and probably like the most notable thing about this movie that people remember is Yara's phone is, is shaped like a seashell. It is a pink seashell that bends in half, just like a flip phone. It very well could be an e- just an e-reader. Um, I want one. So somebody out there, if you can find this for me or find something similar for me, uh, I'll pay you for it. Or if anybody out there wants to design one, if, as long as you give me the first iteration i'll pay for it so jay gets ready for her date and um she's going on a date with a man named hugh hugh looks older than her but not by much but he does and uh jay and hugh go to a movie and while they're waiting in line to buy tickets and buy like popcorn candy soda they talk about a game that jay plays with kelly all the time called the trade game and you get to pick a person it can be any person for any reason at all that you want to trade places with and jay gets to guess who it is so it's a pretty simple game so hugh picks a little boy and he says that he picks a little boy because he looks so happy and he has like no responsibilities and how much better life would be if he didn't have all the responsibilities of adult life So then when it's Jay's turn, they're sitting in the movie theater. Finally, they're in their seats and he guesses a little girl in a yellow dress, but Jay can't see anyone in the movie theater. That's a little girl with a yellow dress. So he's like, yeah, she's sitting right over there. And Jay is confused. And she's like, um, there's literally no one here in yellow at all. So I don't know what you're talking about. 
So Hugh gets visibly upset and like kind of scared by this. And so they leave and they drive for quite some time and end up settling on a diner to eat dinner. It looks just like a diner. Okay. But Jay, who is in high school and is certainly not old enough to be drinking, is able to order a like martini out of a coupe glass at this diner. And I've never been to a diner that even has martini glasses before. So I'm very interested in dining at this establishment. The next day, uh, Kelly and Jay, they go for a walk. (laughs) Kelly wants to smoke a cigarette outside of the house away from their mom. That's why they go on these walks, I guess. And they talk about, you know, Jay's date and about how, like, they didn't have sex last night, but maybe they would this time that they go out. And they wave at a neighbor across the street, a boy who's their age, while he washes the family car. Hugh and Jay go on another date, and this time they go to the beach. And um, it's like a lake, essentially. And since they're in Michigan, it's one of the Great Lakes, I think, is a safe assumption to make. And they end up having sex in Hugh's car. So after they finish, Jay lays on her stomach, and she's kind of, like, hanging out of the... um, the door like she has a door propped open she's hanging out of it with her arm she's touching some flowers that are underneath the car hugh then attacks her with chloroform she wakes up strapped in a wheelchair under an overpass still in her bra and underwear and hugh explains that something is going to follow her and she won't be able to tell the difference if it's whether it's someone she knows or if it's a complete stranger in a crowd And that he passed this along to her because someone else passed it on to him. Which to me sounds like the reasoning that like fraternities give all the time. It's like, well, I had to get buried alive. So, so do you. Even though that's not really a reason. It's kind of like because I said so, which is also not a real reason because it doesn't provide any context. But anyways, so he wheels her over the overpass towards like, it's kind of weird, but it looks like, almost like there's like a gully in between where the the floor is of the overpass and the ground. So there's a pretty like steep drop. And he wheels her over to see a naked woman who is walking straight toward them. Like she's walking very direct. She's making straight eye contact with them. And she doesn't speak or say anything. And Hugh tells her to sleep with someone as soon as she can to get rid of it. Hugh then kind of like tests this person. I'm going to call these figures followers because there's really not a better way of describing them because they look just like humans. So I'm just going to refer to them as followers. So Hugh is testing this follower to make sure that it's not focused on him anymore and that it actually is focused on Jay now. So once he affirms that and finds that to be true, um, he gets Jay out of the way takes her to the car and drives her home. So at home, Paul and Yara and Kelly are playing cards on the front porch and they watch as Hugh drops off Jay in her bra and underwear and she can barely stand. So they call the cops to make sure like she wasn't raped or anything and like just to make sure everything's okay. So the cops come, Jay spends the night in the hospital and the police the next morning find the wheelchair that she was in at the overpass. I mean, good on her for being able to be descriptive enough for them to find it. So Jay then wakes up at home and um, her mom and one of her mother's friends are talking about Hugh gossiping. They're not like none of these things they really know to be fact, but they're gossiping about Hugh over a cup of tea saying like he rented an apartment under a false name and blah, blah, blah. So Jay gets up and she studies her body in the mirror kind of when something throws a red ball at her window and scares the shit out of her, but she kind of just like lets it go. At school, Jay sits in English class when across the courtyard, she sees a woman in a hospital gown walking directly toward her. It is another follower and... Obviously, Jay is terrified, and what is she going to say if no one else can see it, right? So if no one else can see it, then no one's going to believe her. So she gets up out of class, and she leaves. And this is all during a discussion of Lazarus during English class. So I'm sure she wasn't really paying attention anyway. I'm sure she was fine to leave. So she 
goes down the hallway. She's running, trying to get away from the follower. The follower tries to speak. It looks like she opens her mouth, but nothing comes out. So Jay leaves the school and drives to the ice cream shop that her sister Kelly and Paul and Yara work at and tells them about the woman that she saw in the hospital gown and then tells them what Hugh said and Paul offers to sleep on their couch to kind of make Jay feel safer in a way. Um, He's not big and tall and strong and mighty or anything, but um, Jay's father's not not in the picture. So there's really no other men around. So that night, Paul stays in the living room while Yara and Kelly and Jay sleep in their rooms. And Jay comes downstairs to lay on the couch with Paul because she can't sleep. And they watch TV and they talk about how Paul was her first kiss and how they used to hang out together all the time. And that one time they found like a bunch of porno magazines behind a pizza shop. And they're just kind of like reminiscing on this nostalgic, you know, mindset that they're in. And they're interrupted by glass shattering in the kitchen, which is a window being broken. So Paul gets up. He says he can't see anything, which obviously makes sense. And he doesn't come back for a while. So Jay's like, okay, I'm going to get up. I got to take matters into my own hands. And she goes into the kitchen to find a follower, a topless woman with one sock on and um, like a ripped skirt situation she's she's busted like she's not looking her best she's not her best self at all try going through sorority recruitment at alabama with this look so this woman's peeing the follower is peeing while she's walking toward jay so jay runs upstairs to her room and locks the door and kelly and paul and uh yara get her to open the door for them So as as soon as Yara comes in, though, like right behind Yara is another follower, a ginormous man, like super, super tall, can barely fit through the door frame. And he's in a white T-shirt and boxer shorts. And so Jay sees him. No one else can, but Jay does. So she jumps down from her balcony. She lives on the second floor. She jumps down from her balcony and gets onto her bike and rides it to a park. All the while, neighbor across the street, the one who was washing the car, his name is Greg. And Greg was finishing up on a date and was talking to his date in the driveway whenever he sees all these people running and leaving Jay's house. So neighbor Greg sees them all run after Jay and decides to follow them to the park where they all find Jay. And he asks Jay if she'll tell him what really happened with Hugh. Like, he wants to know. He doesn't think that nothing happened. And she doesn't answer. And when he doesn't get an answer, he um, turns to leave. And she's like, oh, are you leaving? Like, where are you going? And he's like, well, somebody has to drive. So he's going to drive everybody. So Greg is a homie. So they get in the car. He wants to find Hugh. That's his goal. I, I don't know what he wants to find Hugh for, but that is, that's what he wants to do. So they all go to Hugh's completely abandoned and disgusting apartment that Jay's mom was talking about with her friend. And I mean, this apartment is so gross. Like there's just bottles and food. And like at one point Jay goes into the closet and she opens the closet door and then pieces of the wall start falling out. And it's, it's just run down. It's it's not a good one. So they actually find a photo of Hugh in the apartment with a younger girl, I'm assuming she's younger, she looks younger, and in the photo, she, the girl, is wearing this Letterman jacket for a high school in the area, and so um, Jay recognizes the high school, she takes the photo to the registrar's office at the school, and finds out that his name is actually not Hugh, but on the school record, his name is listed as Jeff Redmond. So they all go to Jeff's house, which I'm going to call him Jeff now because, um, that's his name. And she knocks on the door and just like sees his mom. And she's like, Hey, is Jeff here? Super weird encounter. I don't know that I'd ever be brave enough to do something like that. But the mom was really nice and she actually invited everybody in. And so they all go sit on Jeff's front lawn and are talking about it. And Jeff pretty much just explains to them what he already did, which is that, you know, she has to have sex with somebody else to pass it on and blah, blah, blah. 
And he says that he got it from a girl that he had a one night stand with that he picked up at the bar and explains that if the follower kills Jay, then it will go back to Jeff next. So basically if I were to have it and I have sex with another person, that person would then receive it. If the follower killed that person, then they would then come back after me. So you have to just keep passing it along in hopes that like you'll never have to deal with it again. Greg then drives them all out to a cabin that his family owns in the middle of absolutely nowhere, but it's really pretty out there. I've never been to Michigan, but I kind of want to go. And Paul watches Jay sleep that night to protect her. He's really freaked out by the whole thing. Greg finds a gun on the property and sets up some targets like cereal boxes and just like random stuff that he finds in the house for Jay to practice. So they go and spend some time on the lake, on the beach, and um, someone in a tank top and boxers is coming up behind Jay. And at first you're like, oh, that kind of looks like Yara because she kind of has some like fringed hair and you're like, oh, let's see, probably Yara, but no one else can see this person. So that's why nobody reacts. And this person sneaks up behind Jay and grabs her hair and pulls it straight up. Jay's sitting in a chair, like a beach chair, and she pulls it straight up. Everybody sees that though. So they all run back to, uh, this giant shed is basically what it is. It, it looked like at one point, maybe somebody had slept there. It was like an extra house with an extra room. But at this point, it's certainly not functional as that. Greg finds them and is trying to run towards the little shed situation to be with them. But Jay has the gun and is shooting at the follower. But the bullets are just going right through it. So, you know... It's not really working. And like, it, I would just feel so helpless at this point. And the bullets are coming toward Greg because they're not being stopped by anything. They're not being um, like the, it's just going through the person, the follower. So it's not stopping. So anyway, Greg approaches and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you trying to kill me? This is not fair. I'm the one that taught you how to use this. I didn't give it to you so you could kill me. And so Jay's like, hey, Greg, don't open the door. Please leave the door closed. I'm really scared. Well, this follower had kicked this really humongous hole in the door. And Greg walks away. Not sure where he's going, but he leaves. And um, a small boy follower, very small, white tank top, boxer shorts, black eyes, like huge black circles around his eyes, starts to crawl through that hole. Jay, there's another door in this little shed. So Jay runs out that door. We look, we see there's yet another follower that's following her. And this time it's a younger girl, which is really sad. Younger girl in a white dress and she's following Jay. Now, the thing about all of these followers is that they're not dumb. And even Hugh slash Jeff says this. He's like, they're not dumb, but they're really slow. Like they don't run. They just walk. So they're like zombie pace pretty much. So Jay runs towards Greg's car and, um, (laughs) she gets in the car and drives. And I feel so bad for this girl at this point, because what else can she do? You know, But she runs and she jumps in the car. It's Greg's car. Greg is like, hey, that's my car. Like, we don't already all know that. And she drives away and there's someone backing out in a truck in this. It's pretty much like the equivalent of alley parking. So there's only one way to go. And they're backing out in their truck from their driveway. And um, Jay almost hits them. So she swerves and hits a mailbox and crashes the car. So she wakes up in the hospital with... Everybody there, mom, sister, Yara, Paul, Greg, and Greg wakes up. He, he wants to help her. Like he, he sees how clearly scared she is and how this is very real. Like this is just not something that she's making up at this point. And she's looking out the hall at the bat, out the door of the hospital. And you know, every person that walks by terrifies her. She's like, oh my God, it's going to be them. And so Greg decides that he's gonna, he's just gonna have sex with her. Like he, he really doesn't think that 
anything is going to happen. So he's like, okay, like I'll just do it. So they have sex while she's in the hospital at school. The next day, Greg flirts with the girl and it kind of looks like they're like dating. I mean, he has his arm around her and they're like talking at lunch and stuff. And he goes to visit Jay after school and he tells her that he hasn't seen anything at all. So to me, that would be weird because he's like, it's been three days and I haven't seen anything. So Jay's like, I don't know, like that's weird. And Greg's like, yeah, I don't think it's coming. So when Jay finally gets to go home from the hospital, she only had a broken arm, but I mean, still, like that's not fun. Jay doesn't see anything. She goes swimming and um, she just rests and kind of hangs out around the house. And Greg comes over and Kelly, Yara, and Paul are on the front porch. And Kelly's like, um, it's really not a good idea for you to be here. <laughs> like, you should probably go because she's just been hiding in her room. And at this point, I'm thinking like, okay, like the reason that Greg hasn't seen anything is because he's having sex with somebody else. That's what I'm thinking. Because if it's been three days and he hasn't seen anything but everybody else that's dealt with this has seen stuff every single day, then that means that like it, 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 he doesn't have it. Right. So the girl that he was putting his arm around with and having lunch with at school and stuff, we pretty much concur that he gave it to her. And that's also why Kelly doesn't really want, want him to see Jay because it meant a lot to Jay, obviously, that Greg took this on for her and he gave it to somebody else and two-timing, blah, 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 men, X, Y, Z. Okay. So she's like, I'm sure that Jay will call you later when she wakes up, whatever. So that night, Jay is just staring out the window. She just, she is so paranoid and so scared that she just spends all of her time looking out because she just is so scared of everything. And that night she looks and she sees a follower trying to get into Greg's house. So she calls Greg, but no one answers. And so she's freaking out. She runs over to his house, climbs through the living room window. There is a follower standing at Greg's door at the top of the stairs in like an all white, really pretty robe. Like if you were to think like high class, rich woman, agent, provocateur, French lingerie, fluffy see-through robe that's what we're working with right now she's banging on greg's door and jay is screaming please don't open the door please don't open your door this is not a good idea don't open the door okay well greg opens the door because why wouldn't he and so then the woman in the white robe kills him jay realizes oh shit now it's my turn because i'm the one that gave it to greg greg is dead so now it's going to come back after me so she gets in the car and she drives out to the woods where she sleeps all night. She sleeps peacefully all night until the next morning. And when she wakes up, she's like, is that rock music playing in the distance? What's going on? So she goes to investigate this music and she walks down onto the sand um, to the lake. It's pretty much like she drove out to the woods and then there was a very small walking path from the spot where she parked her car to the beach. So she uses that walking path and goes and looks. And she sees three men on a boat playing music in the middle of the lake. So she's like, oh, I could go for a swim. So she strips down to her clothes, like her base layer clothes and um, swims. And then she drives home. We find the backyard pool empty, the one that she had been swimming in. It's completely empty. And she sleeps with Yara and Kelly. But Paul comes over to see Jay and offers to have sex with her to take it away. And he asks her why she picked Greg. He's like... I'm hurt that you picked Greg over me. And she says that she thought that Greg could handle it and that it wouldn't be a big deal. And she didn't want to do that to Paul. Basically she cared way too much about Paul to do anything like this to him. And that's why she picked Greg. So Paul is like, Hey, do you remember the place that we had our first kiss? Do you trust me? And Jay's like, yeah, of course. So they all pile up in the car. They have an idea. They're on a mission. They get in the car, and while they're driving away, Jay sees a follower on top of her house. It's a it's a naked man, purely straight-up naked man, who's just standing on the roof. He's not moving. He's just standing on top of the roof, and he looks at her. And thank God she's leaving, right? Because 
I like can't imagine this. Like everywhere you look, there's somebody that's so terrifying. So Yara talks about how her parents never let her go to eight mile or past eight mile because that is where the suburbs ended. And Jay's like, yeah, my parents never let me either. Blah, blah, blah. And they're all walking down this road, this really long road. I think it's gravel toward this giant building that's that holds an indoor pool it's like a natatorium so inside the natatorium they sit by the pool and the plan is to lure the follower into the pool and shock it by putting electronics and hair dryers and like other stuff i think there's like a typewriter which is kind of weird because it's like i don't that's kind of suspect i've never used one but that's what it looks like. Um, just putting like random uh, little appliances all around the pool and they're going to throw it into the water and electrocute the follower. So Jay is basically the bait in this scenario and she swims in the pool and waits for the follower to come and she waits for a while. She's just swimming, treading water. It finally comes and This is the first time anybody says, what does it look like? Or who is it? And Jay says, I don't want to tell you. Which is weird because no one ever asked before what the follower looked like. And this time she like can very, very clearly see it, but she doesn't want to tell anybody what it looks like. So... Instead of coming into the water, which is so bizarre, it then starts to pick up all the appliances and electronics that are laid out around the pool and starts throwing them at Jay. So luckily, all of these things land close to her, but don't cause any electrical shocks to her, which is kind of interesting. Um, I'm not really sure like how or why, but they don't. And... Paul is trying to shoot the thing. Like it'll pick up like a hairdryer or whatever. And basically he'll be like, okay, like the hairdryer that's floating is obviously being held by someone or something. So I'm going to shoot at it. So Paul takes the gun, tries to shoot at it again. The bullet just like goes like right through it and hits Yara. Poor Yara. Okay. Like her role in this movie is so minor. And the one time that she could have really like had the chance to shine, Paul just shoots her in the leg. I mean, whatever. Finally, though, it gets in the pool and it grabs Jay by her ankle. It pulls her underwater. You know, she's trying to swim. She can't. She can't get out. Everybody's freaking out. She's going to drown. Blah, blah, blah. Well, Paul, superhero, must have watched Mythbusters growing up because he takes the gun and shoots through the water and ends up hitting the follower. But this time he hits it in the head. And I guess there's, like, a difference with these things. Like, I guess, like, you have to hit them in the head. I I guess you can't just, like, hit them anywhere. Otherwise, like, nothing happens. So he hits him right in the head, and Jay is freed. They pull her out of the pool. The water just completely turns red. The whole pool is red. It's no longer blue at all. And jay being safe and sound and finally with paul ends up having sex with paul that night and they both agree that they feel no different after so they're like yeah i I don't i don't think anything's following me anymore at this point and they agree that they don't they don't either one of them feel that way so paul then drives by the building again the natatorium and drives past two sex workers and kind of really makes a dip, makes it a point to like look at them and he and Jay go to see Yara in the hospital where Yara reads them her book on her really cool e-reader shell phone situation and Paul falls asleep and the movie ends with Jay and Paul holding hands walking through the neighborhood together so decently heartwarming ending it does play some kind of suspenseful music so we can assume that there is still something following them Okay, so now we can ask ourselves, what does it all mean? First of all, I think this movie is just completely underappreciated, undervalued. People don't want to pay attention to it, so they say it's not good, blah, blah, blah. You all know the drill. We all know about A Clockwork Orange. We all know about 
whatever other great fucking fantastic movie that everybody hates because they just didn't get it. Unfair criticism, obviously. In this movie, I think there's definitely a few different interpretations. And obviously the first one is just going to be like the most literal one, which is that the movie's about sex. Okay. Yes, the movie is about sex by, by virtue of the way that the followers choose their targets, right? But the other important kind of aspect to the sexual part is it almost seems like a hyperbolic example of whenever people tell you like, oh, well, like, and I mean, I don't know about men. So sorry, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of a woman who was raised in Texas and like in, if you were to ever go to churches or anything growing up in like Baptist churches in particular, basically they just brainwash you to say like, oh, well, like you can't have sex with anybody because every time you have sex with somebody, you give a piece of yourself to them and then you'll never be a whole person again because every person that you've had sex with has a piece of you. So whenever you meet your husband, you won't be a whole person because you've already given away too many pieces of yourself. I don't really have time to get into all the reasons that that is problematic and disgusting and why are people in Baptist churches in Texas always so focused on what I do with my genitalia. I'm really, really not sure, but it almost seems like a hyperbolic example of that type of mindset. Every time you have sex with someone in this world, in this movie, you get something. You get something that you can never get rid of. It's this feeling. It's this person. It's these people that follow you. It's whatever, right? And all the people that you have sex with are connected because every person experiences being followed by these things. So that, it kind of seems like a strange example of that. The other interpretation in the sexual aspect I can kind of see is the one about STDs. Every time, if you have an STD, like every time you sleep with somebody, you are at risk of giving it to them. Again, hyperbolic example in this world, if that's what the director was getting at. Um, But in this world of this movie, in this strange time period in Michigan that we're not sure about, if you were to have sex with someone, the STD in question would, of course, stay with you and follow you. And every time you have sex with a new partner, you pass it on. Okay. I think the movie's a lot deeper than sex. I think it's way deeper than sex. And I think it's way more profound than all of these other things. I, I, I wrote a blog post about this on a blog that I used to run a few years ago, and I'm not going to really even bother saying the name of it because truly it wasn't a great blog and I didn't do a good job of keeping up with it. And that's 100% my fault. But one thing I will say about it is that I discussed the concept of these people that follow you being the embodiment of some of your fears, maybe. So it's hard to catch But at the very end, the last follower is a man. And Jay specifically says that she doesn't want to say what it looks like. In her house, there are a lot of photos of her family, of her and Kelly and her mom and her dad. Well, her dad's not in the movie at all. So we know that he does, like, he's not there. The man in the photos her dad in the photos is the same person who is the final follower. And that's why Jay didn't want to say who it was because how awful would that be to explain number one, to accept it yourself, but number two, to explain to your younger sister that your dad is trying to kill you in a swimming pool with electronics and appliances. So, She's scared of her dad, right? Um, That's why she doesn't be like, oh, that's my dad, and just, like, run to him with open arms. So something leads me to believe that there's something going on here with relation to the dad. 
The other things that bother me, though, in relation to this, is the idea that some of them, the ones that were out at the beach when she was hiding in the shed, were children, like very young children, maybe seven or eight. Uh, There was the boy and the girl in the dress. And for that reason, I'm troubled because... If we go back to our original idea or notion about this being about sex, we could say that every person who is a follower is dead. So was provided or was this was inflicted upon them and they died. And so now they are followers. Well, that's troublesome because children having been totally... <laughs> totally abused in this way and then they die and turn into followers that that's really troubling for very obvious reasons but it also makes me think that these were kids that jay had encountered in her childhood or growing up or even now that she was frightened of or disturbed by so this idea kind of led me to do a little bit of research and see what else i could find if anybody else maybe had had something similar And in an article I found linked below titled Urban Legends Exploring the Meaning Behind It Follows by Dallin Rowell, the author talks about how the follower that was knocking at Greg's door was actually Greg's mom. And he even says when he opens the door, mom, what do you want? But she's viewed in a very like sexualized way because um, her She's in a very nice robe and her robe is undone at the top and we can see her breasts. And at the end, when we see Jay's father being a follower for her, it kind of got me and, and evidently the author of this post as well, thinking that these, the reason that Greg saw his mom and Jay saw her dad is because these two people inflicted sexual trauma on either their own children or the lives of others or both. And that kind of thinking back to what I said about the younger children, we can kind of tie that in to say potentially, right? The two that kill you. So the one that killed Greg was his mom And the one that almost killed Jay was her dad. And if those were the two followers for each of the, um, each of their perspective lives that caused them the most pain, the most trauma, the most abuse, X, Y, Z, then this could kind of just be the personification or embodiment for Jay and Greg of all the trauma that they've suffered. And ultimately for Greg, unfortunately, It consumed him and he died. But for Jay, she was able to overcome that with the help of her friends helping her to defeat it. So that's also kind of another way of looking at it. And I think that way is actually really interesting because then you can think about the other people that Jay saw. So like, for example, Jay, whenever she's looking out her window at night and sees one of the followers go into Greg's house, that follower is Greg. Like, she sees Greg. He's wearing the exact same pajamas that Greg is currently wearing inside the house. When she gets up the stairs, the follower that she sees is actually Greg's mom. Like, these are people that she recognizes, and these followers are following Greg. So, for her to see out the window Greg kind of makes a lot of sense, actually. It In the hospital, yeah, as far as we know... There was verbal and enthusiastic consent for Greg to have sex with her to potentially rid her of this burden of the followers that she's seeing. But at a certain point during the act, it doesn't necessarily look like she's thrilled with it anymore. And I don't, I do not seriously know if that is meant to convey to the audience that she maybe revoked that consent or was no longer enjoying it and wanted to stop, but felt like she couldn't say anything. Like we, we, it's kind of up to our interpretation. We don't really know. So it would make sense though, if she saw Greg in this manner as a follower, because 
this was a traumatic sexual experience for her. This is not just her having sex with somebody that she loved. This is not her having sex with somebody that, like, she went on a date with. This is her having sex with somebody because she doesn't want to die and she would rather these things be following somebody else other than her. Um, so that, that's, that's a more like a, I have to do this, not a, like, I want to do this type of situation. And so that makes a lot of sense. And with regard to the smaller children, we kind of already talked about that, but they could have been victims of either, of either Jay's father or of, of Greg's mom, really either way. And the only one that I would be like slightly curious about really is the older woman, the one in the hospital gown that was walking towards Jay at school. And this could, again, I'm just letting my imagination run with it because I have no basis for this. I, I don't know, but that could have been someone in the hospital or maybe like a nursing home or something that, that someone had taken advantage of, whether that was Jay's dad or somebody else. I don't know. Now, two last important references that I think need to be discussed are ones based in literature in in the movie. So the first one I want to touch on is whenever Jay is in English class and they're reading, the teacher's like reading this like poem uh, to the class and she's looking out across the courtyard and she's seeing the woman in the hospital gown walking toward her. The, the poem that's being read is the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, and it's written by T.S. Eliot, and um, a, as an, an excerpt of the poem, the one that's read in the movie, I'll read you here. I should have been a pair of ragged claws, scuttling across the floors of silent seas. In the afternoon, the evening sleeps so peacefully, smoothed by long fingers, asleep, tired, or it malingers, Stretched on the floor, here beside you and me. Should I, after tea and cakes and ices, have the strength to force the moment to its crisis? But though I have wept and fasted, wept and prayed, though I have seen my head grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I am no prophet, and here's no great matter. I have seen the moment of my greatness flicker, and I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short, I was afraid. And would it have been worth it after all, after the cups, the marmalade, the tea, among the porcelain, among some talk of you and me, would it have been worthwhile to have bitten off the matter with a smile, to have squeezed the universe into a ball, to roll it toward some overwhelming question, to say, I am Lazarus, come from the dead, come back to tell you all, I shall tell you all. If one, settling a pillow by her head, should say, that is not what I meant at all. That is not it at all. So, I mean, this poem is, is kind of based on love or lust even and has a certain sexual component to it. Um, and it's, it's certainly heavy. Uh, it, it certainly delivers an important message that the author was trying to convey. Um, a love song is, is the title. So there you go. But the mention of Lazarus is really interesting. And Lazarus, I don't know if many of us really know. Um, I, I didn't really know a ton about Lazarus other than the name and that he was brought back to life by Jesus. He was brought back to life by Jesus after four days, I believe. So this kind of like leads me to inspect the timeline of Greg a little bit more because he, when he sees Jay in the hospital, he tells her, Hey, it's been three days. I haven't seen anything at all. The next day, Jay gets to go home from the hospital. And so that would be day four. And on the fourth day, Greg dies. So that was kind of a pretty cut and clear reference in my opinion. I thought that was really interesting and well done. The second reference I want to talk about is the book that <laughs> that Yara is reading on the e-reader, her shell phone or clamshell or I, I, I want to believe so badly that it's a phone. 
So if you'll just let me believe that it's a phone and just entertain me with that for a little while, I would really appreciate it. But she's reading a book called The Idiot. She says that. Um, that is written by Dostoevsky, which is um, Russian. Uh, it was published in 1869. And right after Jay has sex with Hugh and like receives the the plague of this following situation, the e-reader shows, quote, I think that if one is faced by inevitable destruction, if a house is falling upon you, for instance, one must feel a great longing to sit down, close one's eyes, and wait, come what may. And thank you very much to the Virtual Borderland blog post that I will link below for taking the time to find this out because I was thinking the whole time, like, oh, the idiot, like, what is that? Like, that's just like a made-up book. I thought Yara was just being funny. I'm obviously not well-versed at all in Russian literature of any kind. But according to this blog post, the idiot is a story of a man named Mishkin who is good, loving, all-around good man and um that whenever she says i'm reading a book about paul it's called the idiot like it was probably a lot more about paul than we really think it was because paul was really great and sweet and very loving to her and did everything he could to protect her and wanted to save her life and all the things like that so so there you have it uh i really like this movie I, if I had to rate this movie, I've seen it so many times. I enjoy it almost more every time I watch it. I would, out of 10, it would definitely get a seven and a half from me. I really enjoy this movie. So if you haven't seen it already, give it a watch. It is for sure on Netflix. I'm sure you could pay for it elsewhere, but I assume most people have Netflix. And um, that's all I have for you today. So, so long to all of you final boys, girls. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of our show. I will be back next week with a movie that I'm particularly excited to talk to you about because it's one of my favorites. And I will catch you next time. Please make sure to do your housekeeping chores and tell your friends, tell your family, like, review, rate, subscribe. I don't even know what else you can do. If you can do it to support me, it would be awesome. And I appreciate you all so much for taking the time to listen to me. So I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl, and I will catch you next week. <laughs>